0: All these bills. Koinonia, Christian Fellowship,
1: communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community.
0: I'm Tom Brown, and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley.
2: Welcome to Koinonia. I'm glad to be with you today. And in the studio with me is Tammy Valdez. Welcome, Tammy.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Good to Tammy be here. and I have had a chance to work together because she serves as a consultant and then part of our staff at Living Streams, and she's been a member of our church for many years, and she's got a unique business woman's background. We're going to talk with her about her life, her ministry, her perspective on women in the workplace, some of the unique challenges. Um, so Tammy, let's just start by you telling us your story. Where'd you grow up, and, and give us some of your business background as well.
0: So I'm a rare native Phoenician. Mm -hmm. I was born here and uh, grew up here and grew up with a single mom. And so um, got lots of experience at home of how to administer things to help out. And by the time I graduated high school, my dad was going through his midlife crisis. And I thought, you know, we need to know each other better. So he he decided he was going to get his stockbroker license and uh, drop out of construction work, which he had Mm -hmm. been doing his whole life. And so he said, would you be interested in going through the crash course with me to become a stockbroker? And I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. I had zero understanding of what I was signing up for. All I knew is this would be great. We'd get to know each other. Spend time with your dad, yeah. (laughs) And so... um, At age 18, I was sitting in a classroom where the next youngest person was my father. Wow. (laughs) And uh, studying to get my Series 7 license to become a stockbroker. And we took the test, which it's very common to not pass the test on the first try. Um, So we took the test, and we both failed it. Uh Don't worry. Don't be discouraged. We can go through the course again. That's all part of the plan. So we went through the crash course the second time, both failed it again. Um, now we had to get really serious. And even though I didn't really have an interest in this license, I didn't like the feeling of failing. <laughs> so,
2: something kicked in inside yes. you at that point. Huh? And
0: so we got to go through the course. Uh, the, the now, how long was the time. course? It's like, a, I think it's like three or four weeks. I uh-huh. mean, it is a crash course, yeah. a lot of information. And it was like a foreign language. I might as well have been studying a foreign language. Yeah, because
2: you had no background in business and stocks, huh?
0: None. So um, went through the course, and this third time, you can only take the test three times, or they think you're memorizing their test. Yeah. And so it was really important to pass. Otherwise, you wait six months, lose all that information, and start over. So um, studied again, took the test. I passed it, but my dad failed it. And so now I was a stockbroker, and
2: <laughs> you and launched your new career, huh? Did, did you actually go get a job as a stockbroker? Where would uh, you go? I
0: started actually right on this corner, Twenty Fourth uh-huh. Street, and um, went ahead and got a brokerage job selling penny stocks with a startup company,
2: which is basically ripping people off, right? I mean, no, I know. I mean, no, I know you're not. More. You're not okay, but I'm going I'm to press you on that. Um, there's so many people that unfortunately buy penny stocks believing that... Penny stocks, by definition, are stocks valued less than a dollar. Right. And um, over 90% of the people who buy penny stocks lose all their money, right? Correct. Okay, no, so you weren't ripping... You have
0: ripping to t- find a long shot, and you truly need somebody who knows what they're doing, they're gambling on, is this really a company that can flourish?
2: Okay, so we'll find some of the positive benefits for, for gambling on the stock market and an exciting career that began to develop for Tammy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. My guest is Tammy Valdez. We're going to find out from Tammy what it's like to be a woman in the business world and, and how you, she has become a woman of God. But first, we're getting her career background. You uh, sort of were dragged into the stock profession by a, through a desire to be with your dad, and you finally passed the test. You start selling penny stocks. And what did you start learning about the world of stocks?
0: So, I learned a lot of things about the world of stocks, and that is you can be really successful or you can lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, unless you do your research, you might as well be pulling the lever on a slot machine. Yeah. And so, it's really important that you've got that. Well, the who right can,
2: how can the average person do research, uh, research, or should they be just choosing a stockbroker with integrity?
0: So obviously, you can choose a stockbroker with integrity to do it all for you. Um, My career really began to flourish at Charles Schwab, which is a company that's set their vision to helping everybody have access to the information they need to be their own stockbroker. So
2: how long did you do penny stocks before going to Charles Schwab?
0: Not too long. I was in that for about six months and really found out that I'm a great salesperson, and that scared me mm-hmm. because I didn't want to oversell and get somebody Yeah, into
2: you didn't somebody. want to talk something somebody into something that wasn't good for them. You right. can use your gift, and they end up burned, and that's tragic. That's a really uh, – you're going to re-put your sow, and you don't want to be exactly. sowing deception. So um, where would you go from there? I mean, t- tell us about Schwab, and what you learn about stocks there?
0: So I took a, a jump to a pro- commercial property company mm-hmm. in between – Going from the penny stock company to Schwab, but I'll just jump to Schwab because that's really where my career flourished at the mm-hmm. very beginning. So everywhere that I worked as a young stockbroker, um, it really wasn't a woman's world. So I was really a fish in the wrong pond, um, and. I didn't care. I mean, even in the class when we were studying for the test. It was all men and you? It was all men, and all the men were median age, 60 plus. Mm -hmm. And there were comments, are you going to bring me coffee? And I said, no, but you can bring me some. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So now you're talking about, what, the early 80s then, Tammy? Yes. Okay, early 80s. So this was before there was a lot of Talk about uh, harassment in the workplace, sexual, you know, whatever. How? How? What did you experience along those lines? I mean, obviously, are you going to bring me coffee? Some Some guys are joking, and some guys are being condescending and actually meaning it, right?
0: Right. Um, The thing I learned is you can't let that stuff bug you. Yeah. If that's going to bug you, you're playing in the wrong ball field. Yeah. Um, You. You just have to know what you know and be confident in your own abilities. And so that stuff didn't bug me. Uh, but there were, you know, working in, I mean, this was back when you could smoke cigarettes in the office. Yeah, yeah. And there was just a cloud of smoke up in the right.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, P, that's not that long ago, but that's, you didn't even ask permission to smoke in somebody's house, no. you know, when, when I was young. Um <laughs> And you go in a pottery class and you, you crack the pot and put your finger in the crack and call it an ashtray and give it to your grandma for a Christmas exactly. present. That's what we would do. But um, the you, you said something that I, I want to spend just a few moments on because um, tension, conflict in the workplace is a big deal. You've yes. got to be able to learn to work well together and men and women have to work well together. One thing that I would say to all women if if I'm telling them about men and how to succeed in an environment like you succeeded, I would say don't take it personally when guys are jiving you and joking with you because that's what guys do with those they love and right. care about. I mean, mature men, if they have a friend, like I, I had a guy yesterday talk, you know, making some cracks at, about me to my daughter. Because he's so secure in our relationship, he thinks that he can sort of put me down and then I'm going to just laugh it off, which I sort of did. But you know what I mean? It's 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 a compliment uh, yes. more than it is a put down when a guy does that.
0: So in the workplace, it wasn't always a compliment. It was often a clue that, hey, you're in the wrong place. You don't belong here. But... Um,
2: well, it was a test. It, They're trying yes. to... They're trying to push you aside. Now, uh, another, <clears throat> I want to say this about racism, too, because I know racism's real, just like sexism's real, and it can. it's very unhealthy, unholy, ungodly. However, um, not every guy who's a white guy that treats a black guy is actually racist at his core. He might be just a jerk, you know what I mean? He He can be a jerk to the white guys, too, but... You might assume that he's a racist. Well, he may be a racist as well. But um, and when I say a jerk, we have to be careful, obviously, about judging people and, and all the rest. Um, but nevertheless, there are people that treat everybody right. bad because everybody's a competitor. It's a win-lose.
0: And that's absolutely what it was in the brokerage firm. Any person that's selling is somebody who's potentially taking their business away mm-hmm. So I decided early on I was going to be difficult to offend.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the way you you do that, because, I mean, that doesn't mean things don't bug you when people right. say things. It is you assume they had the right intent when they said it, that they truly didn't mean to be hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then here's the big part is to not retaliate. Yeah. Because if you retaliate and decide I'm going to get you back, Mm -hmm. Now you're on a spiral down and you're not Mm -hmm. climbing the corporate ladder. You're not succeeding. You're not glorifying God. You're not doing
1: your part. All you've
0: got
2: is a fight. Right. And a fight then becomes sort of an excuse for subpar performance, right? Exactly. And so what what else did you learn about the corporate culture and and working with men specifically?
0: So I learned working with men that – They're going to tell you how they're feeling most of the time, Mm -hmm. um, which is different than women. You have really women. You have to. I mean,
2: classically, don't women always talk about their feelings or
0: no? (laughs) Okay. So um, I think that's a misnomer, Mm -hmm. and I'm certainly not speaking for all women because I'm definitely wired a little bit differently, but. Women are not all emotional, touchy feely. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you have to really dig to figure out what's bugging in them or what what they're thinking about. Where a man is just going to say, "Hey, I don't like this. You said this to me, and I didn't like the way that felt."
2: Yeah, yeah. So that that's really interesting. In some, now I, I want to talk for just a minute about the continuum. I, I had. This is a, a divergence, but um, I had a person come to me and said, somebody in their family is transitioning to a transgender. And other met, people in the family are trying to be loving, and in their loving attitude, they're giving this young man uh, Christmas presents of, you know, makeup and stuff like that. And um, what, what we discussed along those lines is that some men who are very sensitive and sometimes very intelligent, when they grow up with other young men, don't fit in good with them because young boys and young men are often very narcissistic. It's all, you know, there are no feelings shared. And so that guy might have felt more comfortable in an environment with girls. And then deception can come in where he actually believes he's a woman trapped in a man's body, etc. But in the same way, some women, my wife is like this, is so oriented, like, you know, our family joke, it's not even a joke, it's the truth. We, we raise chickens. If you're a chicken, you stop laying eggs. <laughs> it's... Not a safe environment for you. My wife will take you out. You're going to be cooked, you know. <laughs> and now most most women aren't going to go slaughter a chicken or slaughter a lamb like she did the other day. But she will. And, and so a lot of men are comfortable with her in the environment because she likes to hunt and fish and act like a guy. But it's just a continuum. She's very much a woman right. even though she likes certain things that men like.
0: So I – I have studied human behavior a lot. Um, In fact, I use it when I'm hiring people to make sure that I'm putting you in a role where your natural behaviors are going to help you flourish. And so oftentimes that continuum that you talked about isn't male-female continuum. It's very much more of a behavioral. Mm -hmm. So it is, do you like to be in control? Do you like to support? Do you like to be social? Or do you really re-energize being private, mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole slew of others, but um, oftentimes we've just put a box around a certain set of behaviors and said, this is male or this is female, yeah, and yeah. it really limits because that's not how God created us. We are all uniquely and wonderfully male. We
2: are unique and wonderfully created, and some men are much more sensitive. much They, they fit in better on a team. They're more social. They like to... To be included, we we've had meetings in our church, as you know, on lots of different level for our teams, right? And I'm like, I don't want to be in a team meeting. I want to have I I have vision. I want to declare the vision, and then I want to go about fulfilling the vision. I don't want to discuss the vision, and you know. But other guys really do seem to get energized yes. by that process. Yes, how absolutely. do you help people figure out who they really are?
0: Well, I use. Um different assessments there's lots of them on the market Mm -hmm. but um you after you've done it for a while you can start to identify and you can ask some questions to identify you know where do you when you're tired and you need to re-energize how do you do that Mm -hmm. do you go to a party and hang out with friends and that re-energizes you or do you like to sit quietly read a book or maybe go off and hike where there's nobody around to refuel your fuel? and
2: people really are so different that they get re-energized different ways. I used to just think some people are weird, you know? There's Everybody me, that's not me, like me, the norm, the healthy norm, <laughs> and then the rest of the world, you know? What's their problem? Exactly. Uh, my guest is uh, Tammy Valdez. We're going to continue this conversation when we come back. Stay tuned to Koinonia. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Coinania. This is Mark Buckley, and my guest is Tammy Valdez. Um, Tammy is a businesswoman. She's been very successful. We're going to find out more about her career in just a moment. Tammy, you were talking about making sure people are on the right team. That um, How do you construct a business team so that it's going to be more productive? You can't have all people on the team just being ones that want to talk about process. Somebody's got to lead, and what what are the components you're looking for in a successful working team?
0: So, depending on the size of the team, um, the broader skill sets that you can put on that team, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes makes it more challenging to lead and manage, but um, that is the the secret to my success is having lots of different perspectives. So um in fact i refer to it as diversity mm-hmm. so oftentimes people think diversity is just gender diversity um Racial nationality diversity. Yeah. um mm-hmm. and i believe diversity is so many more layers than that and it's diversity of thinking some people really um are black and white they mm-hmm. make a or yes no um there's no gray Absolutes, at yeah. all mm-hmm. um other people live their entire life in the gray area just that's That's who your entrepreneurs are your innovators they they're not going to just follow the cookie cutter approach that everybody else did they're off on a different trail trying to discover a new way to do things okay and so you want a lot of different so give
2: sets. us give us a um, a team and and describe the mission of the team and uh since you're selecting the members of the team, I want you to come up with a the right kind of personality mix for that team to be successful?
0: So it very much depends on the vision and Okay, mission. so you give us so, the vision. Um, I'll jump to a different career mm-hmm. where I was uh, running an operational team, mm-hmm. and my vision was to differentiate our product by having a world-class experience. And so that experience wasn't just for the consumer, but for the employees as well. And so in building the team that was going to lead that group, I looked for individuals who are super process oriented. They like to do the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. They like to find better ways to do it, to refine things. Mm -hmm. I found people who were very entrepreneurial in their thinking, who are why do we do it this way? This doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Can't we do it this way? Um, and then I also put um, extroverts, introverts all together, mm-hmm. and they work together. And it's funny, when you have a team, you're, you're extroverted or more social people who like to talk things out while they're processing it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it just sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. Those people will start to respect the people who don't talk a lot. And the second one of those thinkers who's thinking about things starts to say something, all of a sudden the room gets quiet because it's almost like that E.F. Hutton commercial. (laughs) Because they don't say a lot, but when they say something, it's really important and you need to tune in. And they know that they can continue to process out loud, no problem. But so putting together the team is making sure that you've got somebody who's going to see the blind spots that you're not going to see. So I'd never develop a team of me, mm-hmm. you know, the same behavioral styles as me, because I can fill that role. I don't need people that make me comfortable yeah, acting yeah. and thinking like me.
2: So, what I find interesting about this is that I have been a leader since you know my early 20s. I've been a senior pastor since I was 25 years old. Um, and yet, I didn't understand the differences of different personalities. Even the first time we took personality tests and they all came out different, I just don't think I believed it. I really, looking back, I was totally blind to the Different way people are wired. I would just think people were lazy, basically. You know, you you my categories were hardworking, lazy, sort of hardworking. You know, that's those were the breakdowns that I had. How do you help people that have really no clue uh, on in terms of appreciating the distinctions that make up a healthy team?
0: So it's really easy when you're working with a team too, and we did this with mm-hmm. your team where we went through the assessment and you see the different styles of everybody brings to the mm-hmm. table and then you call it out. So I actually call out, you know, when this person comes into the room, the perspective is they just want to goof around. They they want to have fun. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're not seen as getting the work done. Mm-hmm. Whereas when this person walks in the room, everybody who's different than them sees them as quiet. They don't they 're not they 're kind of shady they 're not telling me what they 're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, so I actually call out the opposite behavior because it 's real easy to look at the world from our own perspective of well, I like to be in control, so everybody should like to be in control when the reality is a very small percentage of people want the responsibility and accountability of being in control, and so really unwiring some of the social norms that we get.
2: Um, so give us more of your career background. How many years do you work for Schwab and, uh, and then where'd you go from there?
0: So with Schwab, I was there for 13 years and they were 13 hyper growth and then hyper contraction years. So um, when I started, there were just over four thousand employees. We grew to twenty-eight thousand employees. Wow! And then we contracted after nine eleven. We contracted back down to ten thousand wow. employees. Wow! So, a lot
2: of people coming and going, huh?
0: Yes. So it was a tremendous experience. Um, it was like any hyper growth startup you could ever look at, because we were just constantly trying to keep up with the growth, and then then you see the downside of overstaffing when yeah. you have to now lay people off. No, did I, you
2: have to let people go?
0: I laid off auditoriums full at a time.
2: Uh, auditoriums at a time. Oh my goodness. And were some people crying and some people shocked, some people angry. What were kind All of All of the re- above. Really? So,
0: um the it's very much in how you deliver it and mm-hmm. Schwab really worked hard to put together a fair package and and really take care of their employees that they Mm -hmm. had to let go and so um, people understood it Um,
2: intellectually
0: yeah Um, not so in that environment you tend to get tough Mm -hmm. driven um, sales type people so they were just mad yeah most of them if they showed you any reaction Um, but then when they went home and processed it then the phone calls came later of the anger and the Um, tears, and what am I supposed to do now?
2: Yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, I had a friend who was working with Schwab, and he was pretty high up. And when he let go, he got a very generous severance project. No, they (laughs)
0: did the best they could and still stay in business. They really cared about their employees. That's really neat.
2: So where'd you go from there?
0: So from there, I... Actually went through an identity crisis because I did not know who I was without the title behind my now, name. Now, did
2: you get let go yourself? Eventually, <laughs> yes. Eventually, the last one in the auditorium <laughs> no, no. was you. <laughs> um,
0: you know, eventually that, that's so, eventually, so. you have so many leaders, uh, you have like Swiss cheese. Right, and right. So you have to clean right. everything up. And so um, I did uh, eventually get laid off. And so I was with them for 13 years. And I took a year off. I call it my sabbatical. Wonderful. To figure out who I am and what, what. And what I did wanted. you
2: learn about yourself? <laughs>
0: um, I learned that I was really naive and just I put every so I made the mistake of making everything wrap around my career and not the other way around. So I didn't. Yeah, because to you have didn't a family have. Yeah,
2: and, you didn't have kids, so that was your. Yes, and i made mind, horrible money. sacrifices. Like of how many hours were my you
0: husband. working? Um, I. It wasn't so much in hours as that I was always available. Yeah. Um. So I would say I worked 60-plus hours a week, mm-hmm. but then you could call me anytime. Anytime. You know. And I didn't develop a needy team, so those oh. calls didn't happen often, but when they did, um, they were usually something really big.
2: Well, and one thing uh, some people don't necessarily realize that when you are in the upper echelons of any corporation and you do have a really significant salary, the downside is you don't really turn it off the minute oh. you walk out the door, like a, a more... Uh,
0: Frontline person. Yeah,
2: yeah. You A lot of people have the privilege of not worrying about work when they leave, but when you're an owner or a major manager, work does follow you wherever yeah,
0: you go. Yeah, and you stay up at night trying to solve the next problem.
2: Yeah. So where'd you go from there?
0: So from there, uh, after, after your that sabbatical, year, yeah. I decided I didn't want my brokerage licenses because I had many to expire, so I went with Morgan Stanley and spent a short amount of time there before I got a call from a headhunter that, tell- that I had worked with, mm-hmm. and she... She said, I just saw the perfect startup for you. And she said, I know you're a risk taker, so this could be the best decision ever or the worst decision Uh ever. And I said, you've got my attention. Let's talk. And so we talked, and it ended up being a small company with 30 employees called LifeLock. Mm -hmm. And um, we um, talked. I checked it out. I interviewed and met with them, and it sounded like a terrific fit, and so off I went to begin working with LifeLock. How
2: and long had they been going at the up to that point?
0: They had been in business for two years, mm-hmm. but they had really just started to um, see rapid growth that they were struggling to keep up with.
2: Yeah, and what was your role then?
0: So my role was in their operations. So I was in charge of member services when mm-hmm. I first started.
2: And, and how did the company grow and develop while you were there for roughly how many uh, clients to?
0: Um,
2: well, you can answer that when we okay, come back. Okay, I'll do that. My guest is Tammy Valdez. She's going to give you some insights into what it's like to be part of a startup company that literally explodes the positive and also some of the challenging dynamics of that reality. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Coinania. My guest is Tammy Valdez. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Tammy, you were one of the first 30 employees of LifeLock. And uh, what was happening as that company grew and how how fast did it grow?
1: So
0: it was on lightning speed. So I had dealt with hyper growth before. So that was part of the good fit for bringing me in. And so um, what had happened to cause the hyper growth is um, the CEO had recently decided to be um, catchy on an interview that he was on, and he shared his Social Security number. He
2: said basically, we're so secure. No,
0: he didn't say that.
2: Oh, <laughs> what, what did he say? Because he ended up getting sued for it later on. He but. did,
0: but it was not a blatant. It was oh. very much a, I'm so sure in our product that yeah. I can share my Social Security number publicly and not be fearful
2: and so, why did he? Why did he end up getting sued on that?
0: Because the FCC looked at it differently. Really.
2: Mm-hmm. So, um, how big was the company when uh, that um, went viral? Because it did go viral, didn't
1: so, it? So,
0: when I had started with the company, we started implementing different pieces to help us to be able to grow, and um, that was when the ads with the social security number began and the growth was tremendous okay so
2: we didn't just mention it on a program he started using it in the ads and that's what
0: it was mentioned on a program to start with and then it was so effective yeah
2: (laughs) why not just share it a little bit so and, and how many customers did you go from what to what
0: so when I from the time frame I was there when I started there were I don't remember the exact number but it was I don't know, a well under 100,000. <laughs> oh, well under 100,000, okay. And then uh, it, we, when I left, it was close to 4 million customers. Okay,
2: so it was a boom time. Yes. And each of those customers is paying a certain amount of money every month to have identity theft protection, and identity theft became a big, big deal right up to the present day. Yes. And, um, and so how many people did you hire?
0: Um, I hired... In my department alone over, um, I think it was close to 600 and something. Really? Mm-hmm.
2: And so now you're the boss of 600 people, basically. Yes. And um, how did you organize them?
0: So this is where I learned that you put the right person in the right role and they flourish. Mm-hmm. And if you put the wrong person in that role, they're going to work as hard as they can, but they're going to get stressed out, exhausted, and burn out. Mm-hmm. And so putting the right person in the right role was a priority. So um, we aligned the different departments and put the type of person that would help that type of – so I had operational, behind-the-scenes, billing, those kind mm-hmm. of teams. I had frontline sales teams, service teams – and so identifying what are the skill sets that are going to make this um, area a success and putting the right people in those roles is was the secret and really getting them all aligned. So one of the things with a startup is you always have more challenges than you have resources to solve it. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to a nonprofit or yeah. church leadership We Where you use a lot of volunteers and stuff. Yes.
2: Um, I just read a really interesting book called The Undoing Project. And it's about two Israeli psychologists and their collaborative efforts. And they were hired basically, well, when they were young even, one of the guys to to help the Israeli army determine who should be um, a fighter jet pilot, who should be a tank commander, who should be you know, working in computers and stuff. And it's, it's all about the research they did that shows how many bad judgments we make when, and, and in our church, we're in the same situation. We have a junior high pastor right now who's also our accountant, right? And you look at him and you say, I could tell you in a moment, he'd be a good accountant because he's quiet, he's reserved and whatever. But nobody could tell you that he'd be a great junior high pastor, but he is. And it's just absolutely amazing. The kids love him, and it's flourishing. But you wouldn't be able to tell by its outward characteristics.
0: Exactly. So it's really discovering who that person is, what their gifts are, Mm -hmm. and putting them in a position where they're going to flourish.
2: So one of the things that's difficult for many of us is if we feel like Um, we don't have opportunities, or why am I not included in the executive team, or why am I not involved in this, that, or the other thing? How do you help people to process sometimes their disappointment? Because the truth is, uh, like one of my friends, um, he is a pugnacious, scowly guy, you know, and he said to me one time, he said, I always felt like God wanted me to be a pastor, you know, a preacher. And I said to him, his name is Mark, like mine. I said, Mark, listen, you're a baseball player. You love to play baseball. You are built like a catcher. You look like a catcher. You're a great catcher, right? And you play catcher. You do great. The team does great. But if they put you on as a pitcher, You're not a great pitcher. You don't have the ability to throw the curveball, fastball, changeup, and all that. You wouldn't be happy. The team would be losing, and you'd be very frustrated, even though the the pitcher gets more glory than the catcher, right? Right. right. And maybe a higher salary than the catcher. And that's a challenging dynamic, isn't it?
0: It is. So the key is making it clear what the vision is and how they fit into that vision at every level, Mm -hmm. all the way down to the – person sweeping the floors, making mm-hmm. sure that they know they are valuable and why they're valuable. Um, I had a team that 98% of them understood how their work affected our vision on a employee survey. So it was made crystal clear what was expected out of each person, and they also had an appreciation for the different roles, and that takes a lot of communication of what the role is um In your analogy of the Mm pitcher, it looks really glorious until... They're having to have their shoulder iced and yeah. have all of this. Medication or guys are hitting to,
2: home runs off them, or they're exactly. walking everybody, and then and all then of they're this, fired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They feel like a huge failure because right. they weren't really created. So that's what I said to my friend. I said, "Listen, when it comes to ministry, you love to write. You're a really good writer. You like to counsel people. All that's fine. Yeah. But but if we if you think God wants to send you into the pulpit, where um, you're you're not good at connecting with people because that's how God works. That's a distorted concept of who God is.
0: Exactly. And um, one of the things that's been really coming alive to me in this last week is realizing that we're all put on this earth to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell you all of my strengths and really impress you, and when I do that, I'm glorifying me. <laughs> or I can tell you all of my weaknesses. And connect with you on a level that you wouldn't believe. And then now I'm glorifying God, because how the heck can you have all of these weaknesses and still be accomplishing what you're accomplishing?
2: Amen. So one of the things that you did when you came to work with us at Living Streams is you basically polled our people and you um, were asking the question, how much trust is there? Now at first I thought this is sort of a ridiculous question because obviously we trust each other, we trust the Lord, this is a church, and I was surprised and somewhat offended to discover that not of all, all of our people felt like they were in an environment that allowed them to have real trust in who we were and what we were doing, what how we were implementing our mission and vision. So why'd you do that to me, Tammy?
0: <laughs> well, so trust is very misunderstood. So everybody in that room said, I trust leaving my purse open, my wallet open on mm-hmm. the table and leave and come back. I know nothing's going to disappear. So they all 100% trust it.
2: And I figured that's that's us. That's, so Yes, but it's very good.
0: different than that. So okay. organizational trust is when... You sign up to do a piece of a project that I have to do a different piece for and me going full speed ahead on my piece, trusting that you're going to finish your piece at the exact time we need it finished so that those two pieces can come together and make a whole successful project. And so organizational trust is very different than trusting somebody to not steal or rob from you.
2: That's interesting, isn't it? I was talking with a leader recently who was very frustrated because he was going um, full speed ahead in his area of ministry. And then he ran into a wall with our communication department who needs to publicize the ministry project that he's working on. And it's because he didn't communicate according to all their deadlines and this has been a repeating pattern and he's like, they basically should be here to serve me and my vision. And I'm like, wait a minute, you have to be able to respect them and the timelines they set up and and so what do you do with situations like that, especially when they're recurring?
0: Well so that's that's that organizational trust. Mm-hmm. And so in that in that type of situation, that's why I mean, that's the perfect analogy for why you have different kinds of personalities and behaviors in different roles is your communication team has to be thinking about next month. Right. While your frontline pastors have to be thinking about today, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. The events they're putting on.
2: Exactly. And the, the emergencies they're dealing
0: exactly. with. Exactly. And so you can't have the I can plan out a month from now person always feeling really comfortable in the chaos of the moment. So that's why you need those different types of people on your team. And then the key is getting them to respect each other and mm-hmm. understand the role that they're playing in the success of mm-hmm. the whole vision. And if they start to appreciate what each other do, all of the sudden, they it's no longer you're making me jump through red tape or you're making me do things that I shouldn't have to do. It's, oh, I understand why you have this deadline, and I'm going to need it.
2: Well, in the old days, I would have told the guy that was uh, not respecting the deadlines, gosh, you're going to lose your job around here if you don't quit creating all this frustration. And now the Lord gave me wisdom. It's get him an administrative assistant who can help him plan long term, and don't just get mad at him because that's why nothing's changing. Anyway, my guest is Tammy Valdez. We're going to come back as and continue this conversation in just a moment. Stay tuned to CoinNia. Tammy, it's been a blessing talking with you. What other things did you learn from a church environment that were different than a business environment?
0: Probably the biggest adaptation for me was my terminology. So I couldn't come in and tell you you needed to increase revenue. Mm -hmm. You needed to increase productivity. Those words didn't click with the -hmm. biblical mission that you were on. And I realized, okay, so now we need to talk about a sustainable mission, uh, ministry, Mm -hmm. and we need to talk about getting the most value out of your resources as opposed to some of the terminology that I used in the business world. But
2: the people dynamics are very similar.
0: The people dynamics between a startup and a ministry were incredibly similar. And the reason is because they've been through in many cases, from the beginning, mm-hmm. and they've put on different hats over the different duration, mm-hmm. and so they feel like they know how to do all of these different jobs, and it's just easier to do it themselves as opposed to take it now to the person who is put in charge of that um, that role. Yeah. And so you get all of these rifts and frustrations of, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're swimming in my lane, they're not respecting my my organization
2: or me as a person now I've got a boss and before I was on my own exactly interesting Tammy it's been a blessing working with you and you love Jesus too right
0: absolutely love Jesus
2: and and what do you do to keep growing in the faith
0: well so it's been an interesting journey for me and about a year ago I asked the Lord to make me hungry for his word
2: make you hungry well I hope our listeners are hungry for his word too Tammy, thanks for being with us today. I'm Mark Buckley at Living Streams. Jesus said that blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied. Hunger for Jesus, you won't regret it. If you want to visit us at Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale. You can come by 9:15 or 11 on a Sunday, or you can look us up on the web, livingstreams.org. Whatever you do, seek his kingdom with all your heart and everything you need will be added unto you. God bless you.